Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 10-16-2022, and we're continuing where we left off in our service with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. Take it from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. One point to make here is about Paul's attitude before the Father in prayer. Even though he has a ranking position in the church, notice he kneel before the Father. The other is not just posture. It is the attitude of humility. It is the attitude which gives gives open recognition and respect for our eternal God and Father. It says we are creatures from his hand, and we have an abiding appreciation and administration of his majesty. It further says that we are willing, it further says we willingly submit and total humility to this one who is all wise and powerful. The only speaks more of our humility than it does posture. It says we know his plan and will fully present our ourselves as before him and his wisdom to use us as he sees fit. It is to abandon our agenda and place ourselves in the loving hands of the Father, willing, willing and ready to act according to His will, we are not, we are not to give ourselves to anyone or anything like this in the world. We are not to how we are not to bow to <coughs> earthly rulers or angels because this type of worship and surrender belongs only to the Father. We are free to have this attitude anytime we approach God, whether kneeling or sitting, whether walking or driving in a car. We can approach the Father with the reverence and honor he deserves. All right, point so we can understand the humility he has. And we shall also have the same attitude where we ask the Father of such blessings and such things that we deserve. Kneeling gives us the opportunity to respect God, knowing that whether, as the scripture says, whether we are sitting or driving in a car, we can ask him anytime. You know, we shouldn't have to wait for a certain way that we should ask God for our help. It's the Father knows our needs before we would ask. So the other thing is show us a respect of, of humility and, and give us to be humble before our majesty within heaven. So I like this um, sort of week about kneeling. And we know that Christ also prayed many times to the Father. So we should be like him in all ways and telling in prayer give us the opportunity to know that we have one we can ask anytime we need so he can give us the opportunity to talk to him and be suggested only to him this is for i get out of the thought of the week we have to have this 
turn over to the wife and he give us the answer in prayer? Thank you very much, Dave. So yes, the Father knows exactly what we need before we even ask him, before the words come out of our mouth. Um, he knows what we are, what we are thinking. Um, but even still, let us come before him with um, any special prayers that we have on our own mind. So does anybody have a special request? Um, we are to pray him for Madison um, and anybody who is sick among us in, in the church as well, local and worldwide. Any specific request? Uh, yes, um, this is for Mike. Mike, uh, who is over in Word is Word of Truth Christian Church. He was sick, uh, has been sick for a bit, praying for his health and healing, as um, as well as uh, the Word of Truth, Word of Truth Church as well. Okay. Anyone else? All right, let's bow our heads before God. Let's kneel, and not just in posture, but in our attitude of humility towards God and our dependence on Him. So, dear Father in heaven, we come to you now. You know the thoughts that we have already. Um, you know the thoughts that are in our hearts. And you know all these things, and yet we still come to you to explicitly state that we love you, we depend on you, and we ask you to um, bless us in terms of the earthly things that we, we experience, even though we are not of this world. I pray for the word, word is to the church that we are a part of and give it the uh, open eyes of our hearts so that we may see the inheritance and the truth which has been given to us. I pray for the word of truth, especially while Mike is ill, and I pray for his health. And he would be restored to being more representative in this world as he has so faithfully done before. And I pray for all those who are sick among us and, and suffering in, in many ways, whether from the recent weather disasters that we have had, whether their own personal experiences, you know what is on the hearts of everybody. And uh, we ask that you would comfort them and show them your love. And um, also I want to uh, praise you for giving us new life even in this dark world. We see many of the miraculous things that you have done in your creation which is beyond anything that we can imagine. And most of all, your plan in bringing many sons and daughters into glory is, is definitely beyond your imagination. But help us to know these things in our hearts. Something so automatic and quick that we just are drawn to Christ and we represent Him in this world. That we are ambassadors of Christ in this world, but even before then, we are new creation for anyone who is baptized in Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you both. Uh, Amen. Appreciate that. <clears throat> We're continuing. Um, where we left off last week, we're in John chapter 17 and verse 26, which is the last chapter, or verse, <laughs> last chapter, it's the last verse, 
that is in John chapter 17, and we're taking our time with it. Uh, we will continue there. We'll pick up where we left off uh, with some slight review, but uh, uh, John 17, 26 says, I have made you known to them, and, I, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Christ's mission in revealing the Father is just about complete. Obviously, he will not be finished until the entire church will one day be together, quote, and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Until then, <clears throat> the church is a work in progress. Christ will go to heaven, be glorified, and continue to work tirelessly building his church, quote, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. That's Ephesians 5, 26. What we are becoming is out of this world and is of a new kind, unprecedented, novel, uncommon, unheard of, and that comes from the definition of Thayer. By now, we, can, we, we see the heart of the Lord. We can see the love of the Father and his eternal purpose. <clears throat> we see the glory that will result in the Father's plan being accomplished in Christ and the new creation. Our destiny is exciting and we allow, as, as we allow uh, our minds to be transformed into his image or as Paul would say, we are, quote, being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, that's 2 Corinthians 3.18. So there's quite a lot in this last phrase that we could dig into, and we have covered quite a bit already. We have broken it down into four phrases, of which we are really at the last phrase, which says, and that I myself may be in them. <clears throat> Just to quickly and review, we're not going to take a long time. We're going to review a couple phrases from the pre, uh, points from the free, previous phrase, which was, uh, in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And so point H is, uh, Colossians 3.12 is just a scripture. Therefore, as God's chosen people, here we have chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Our point was to, to show what this special love is. This love that is supposed to be a part of the church. Not only do we understand and love the Father's plan, but... It is interesting how when we saw God called the special people, the Jew, we called them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were special, unique people among the others in the earth. And we even have designations, Jew and Gentile, on the earth that we did not have before. But the church is something different. The church uses the material, we could say the building material of Jews and Gentiles to create one new man. It is not a racial distinction. It is uh, all focused on 
all of us, all of us, wherever we come from, whatever our backgrounds, the focus is now the Father's eternal purpose that he has for the church. So when we talk about God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, we are speaking about that special calling. Clothe yourselves. What should be on the outside of you with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? And we need all of that. <laughs> we don't need just some of it. We need all of it as we not only sojourn in this world and we rub shoulders with other believers as well. Point I. Our response to this trust, Ephesians 1.5, is the same as our Lord's, quote, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, uh, Philippians 2.8. <clears throat> so we, we are seeing that attitude of humility, submission, recognition that his life is not his own. We see that in Christ. And that is the same attitude we are to reflect in this world. Um, it, how do we navigate when we think about the things that God has given us? What, how do we respond to that? Like, what, what should we do? And I know this is not in our notes, but here's what, when we look at... if. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 at the end Paul says some dynamic things about how <clears throat> and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God and then he says now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, but in chapter 4, remember this is a letter, he continues. And if we say, well, okay, all these grandiose things about us, what should be our response? How should we behave as those who have such a calling. So verse 4 and 1 and 2, as prisoners uh, for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes on and talks about all the things that make us one, right? The things that we have in common. And he doesn't talk about, well, you were born over there and I was born over here. You were this, a Gentile and I'm a Jew. You, you, none of those things are mentioned. Be completely humble and gentle. So this is our demeanor right, as believers in this world. It's a professional attitude. When I say professional, it's like when someone's serving you, they have an agenda that they will provide good customer service to you. 
you could say whatever you want. You're the one with the problem, right? Let's say you call because you've got a problem and you, the person on the other end is trying to help. And so they're answering your questions. And, but they're maintaining a professional attitude. Why? Because they recognize that there is a whole other thing, a dynamic going on, right? They got a boss, they got all these supervisors, they're getting the job and all that. But, but in our thought, we know that we're doing these things because this is befitting of our attitude while serving in the world. We're ministers. That means we look to others and see what they need. How can we help them? So that, that attitude of humility, that attitude of submission to the Father's will will be seen in our patience with others and how we manage and deal with others not only believe other fellow believers but but uh, unbelievers as well how how we are wise as serpents and harmless as doves so that's the love <clears throat> love generates all those things uh, how we are look on the outside clothe yourselves and so point point I uh, is our, our response to this trust, Ephesians 1.5, right, is the same as the, our Lord's. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So our attitude should be like his. So we, we dealt with love. I, I can't go over the whole thing again because it just you know, it's going to have to suffice that we did not cover all of uh, the thoughts that are there. And that's good because uh, it, it is not to say that whatever I write isn't the last word on something. It is not. It is, it is not. The thought is not that we um, have laid down the last word. Is, but that as we interact with each other, God continues to show us the richness of what he has given us by the thoughts that, are, uh, that come to the top as well as our, with a, through our interactions. So we're going to deal with this last phrase, which is point number four, and that I myself may be in them. <clears throat> so... All of this is sort of a purpose clause. In order that the love you have for me may be in them. Right? And this is why he's making us known. He's, he says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. In order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that's an end that I myself may be in them. So this is part of the whole thing of making the, making them known was revealing the Father, and that was the mission of Christ to establish the foundation of the church through those uh, disciples, those eleven disciples, and then the twelfth, uh, which would be called later, who would be called later, and that's the Apostle Paul. So let's dig into this last phrase. I'm just trying to integrated into what the, the verse is actually saying. So point A is, we come to the last phrase of Christ's prayer to, to, to the Father. 
he repeats the phrase found in verse 23. All right, so let's go and look back at verse 23 and see what he said there. Verse 17, 23. So <clears throat> 23 says, and this is not the only time he repeated it. He says, I in them. Yeah, so it's sort of like, and that I myself may be in them is our phrase. Verse 23, it says, I and them, which is an explanation. It is more detail about the fact that we are one. The fact that Christ is in us is evident, uh, or it tells the story of what it means for us to be one. It talks about the dynamics, a special spiritual dynamics that we have in this age. This is Christ's prayer. Right? He's praying to the Father, and he, he, he's saying these are the, the features that will be a part of the church age, and these features show our oneness or the, the result of the baptism of the Spirit. What is it? That I may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. And verse 23, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity or oneness then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me so that that whole relationship that is going to be new for the church that never existed before will be seen right when you think about the mystery and how it was hidden in god and nobody knew it and but now the world is going to be able to see it. The world's going to recognize it. And they're going to recognize it through what God is doing in the church. So it's not just enough for us to, to reveal it by telling people, well, this is what it is all about. How we clothe ourselves in the world will further speak to that we are in submission to the Father's plan. We love the Father's plan. We're devoted, committed to the Father's plan. It will show the world the same attitude that Christ had when he was here on earth. And this is what he's saying in verse 23. So let's keep it going here. We reviewed a little bit and hopefully, uh, I know we took a week off. I don't know exactly when, but we are trying to dust off the cobwebs and shake off the dust and we want to keep keep it going point b as circumcision was the sign for israel this exclusiveness is the sign of the new creation that's the fact that christ is going to be in us now a lot of people could look at this in different ways they could say well it really doesn't mean that he's going to personally take up residence in our bodies right they could say that but I think the scripture here has to be what we are going to understand, what the spirit of truth, right? It talks about how we have been baptized by the spirit and how this new dynamic that's working in, in us is where Christ is in us and we are in Christ. In fact, that Christ is in the Father and we're in Christ. We're now one with the Father. 
So that means the Father is in us, and we are in the Father. I mean, it just goes on. These things never happened. God never revealed himself in these ways in the past. So it is to us to understand these things just the way that he tells us. It is not up to us to try to marginalize what God says. So just as circumcision was a sign for Israel, this exclusiveness that comes to us as a result of the baptism of the Spirit is a sign for the new creation. When we look at verses 20 and 21, there's the declaration of this, right? So verse 20, this is John 17, 20 and 21. There's the declaration. So if my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that all of them may be one father. And then he goes into this whole understanding in verse 21. This is how we are all united. That's why in this age, all of us have the same spiritual makeup. It's not like, oh, some people have it who are apostles and prophets and pastors or this, and then others who are just members have other... No, we all have differing gifts, but the same dynamic is in all of us. We all have the same spiritual makeup. And, and there you have it, that all of them may be one. So when he's saying this earlier, he's talking about the 11 who are the foundation, and then even those who are part of the building if we're continuing with that analogy, even those who are part of the building have the same makeup as those who were in the foundation. This is the cornerstone. This is part of, when I say Israel, circumcision was the sign for Israel. Man, that was it, right? If you weren't circumcised and you were in Israel, that you didn't go through that rite, that ritual, then that is the entrance, you could say, to the new creation. It was important for them to be circumcised. And when you look at Paul boasting on his resume in Philippians 3, one of the first thing he brings out was circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin. This, so he, he's saying, I went through the process. I'm a genuine uh, article here. I have it all. I followed the law with in every respect. Even my parents were devout so that they made sure they did these things for me. Even I didn't have anything to do. I didn't go down to the priest when I was eight days old and, and get circumcised. No, his parents, he's talking about his parents' devotion. Even there was all in line. Circumcision, right? If you want to convert... You want to convert to Judaism. Obviously, this is for males. You would have to be circumcised. That is a part of being able to convert to Judaism. And if you, if you were part of who uh, the Jewish race is. Right? As, as I was going to say, anybody who converts, who is a proselyte to Judaism, would have to be circumcised. They would end, would have to obey the Mosaic Law. This is part of the regiment, the ritual that was involved. And that, for somebody who is an adult, it may not be easy. But 
people did it because they did see themselves as wanting to be a part of Israel. And that's what happened. It's there is a sign of the covenant is circumcision. Even Moses had to circumcise his son. God says, you, you, you better do it. And, and Moses had to do it. He didn't want to do it, but he had to do it anyhow. So this is important. This is the first century Jews saw this as, if we're going to be in the same body as Gentiles, us Jews that is, then the first thing is, those Gentiles better be circumcised. Because that's, to them, the acknowledgement that, that the Mosaic Law imposed on every person who was a Jew. And what did you see in Galatians? I mean, we, don't, we could just say almost the whole book was devoted to the Jews trying to impose circumcision on the Gentiles who believed. And this is an issue. And this was the issue at the Jerusalem Council when they all came together to discuss the matter. Obviously, circumcision did not prevail because we're not under the law. But in the minds of many in the first century, it just gives you an indication, a picture into what was going on at the time. So just know that circumcision was key. But why do I bring this thought out? Why would I say that? Is because... Um, let's go to Colossians 2, 9 through 13. Colossians 2, 9 through 13. Not only is circumcision, we said, was the badge, the, the, you know, the, the, how you get into Judaism. <clears throat> how do you get into the church? Circumcision was compared to the baptism of the Spirit. Let's read about it. Starting at verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. <clears throat> I just thought I would add that because part of who we are in Christ is this as well. We have this fullness. Whatever Christ has, we have. He's a progenitor of the new creation, just like Adam was a progenitor of the, we're going to say, old creation old to us, not old to people who are not in Christ. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, here it says, you were also circumcised. Now, Paul is using a, his pharisaical mind to think about how he can create analogies that would be consistent, equivalent, to what we have in the church, and that is the circumcision that he says by Christ. Let's read it again. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed with human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Now, he's using what was super important to the Jews to show what is super, super important in the church. The baptism of the Spirit is what he's talking about here. How do we know? Verse 12, <laughs> simple questions. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, 
who raised him from the dead. So there, these two verses, 11 and 12, definitely go together and to speak of circumcision, uh, of the old way, how Jews understood it and its importance, and how it can be related to what happened to us by the baptism of the Spirit. Even the putting away of the flesh. Well, what was physical circumcision? The cutting away the foreskin, right? The, the flesh. Well, and, and this, it is, the flesh is the old sin nature. We weren't just cut, cut out of the old sin nature. We were cut out of Adam. We were no longer in Adam. That's why I read verses 2, 9, and 10, because that's the second Adam is who we're united to. For in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you also have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So are you. So that is to say, we have been, we put off Adam in order to be united with the person of Christ. That's who, who we are now. So that, that's a point to make. And I'm hoping, we're going down to verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, and then and notice the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ and forgave us all our sins. What do you mean forgave us all our sins? Didn't when we we received propitiation or satisfaction for the judgment of our sins when Christ died on the cross, right? And God the Father was satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. What do you mean He forgave us all of our sins? What is that? That has to do with reconciliation. Recon forgave us all our sins means we are now reconciled to God. That's what that means. The moment we believe in Christ, it brings reconciliation to the Father. All right, let's keep going. <clears throat> Point C, Colossians 1.27. Here's a verse. To them, he's talking about to Gentiles, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is going back to the phrase, and I myself may be in them. So this is part of our badge of honor, Christ in you. How does Christ get in you? The baptism of the Spirit, which he just, we just discussed in Colossians chapter 2. Christ in you. The hope of glory. So this is part of the understanding. And if we were to read, you know, prior to this in Colossians chapter 1, um, let me just see, 127. If we were to go back a little bit, i like to read this part where it says, uh, verse 25, um, I have become its servant, Paul saying, it's, it's as the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery. So if Paul is going to reveal the mystery, the mystery is not something that is separate from what was previously revealed. It is. And I've seen a lot of theologies come along and say, well, we got the mystery. We're, we're in this mystery age, and it has nothing to do with the other ages. It's totally unique. Well, it is a unique age. But, but concerning God's plan, about the Father's plan, it is part of the plan, right? God planned to have the mystery. 
And now what we need to see is how the mystery integrates with the other dispensations. It is, yes, it was a hidden dispensation, but so what does what does Paul see it as? He doesn't see it as well dis, disjointed, uh, you know, from all the other dispensations. He sees it all as part of the whole. He says, I have become its servant. That's the church. God gave me to present to you the word of God. Notice, not just the word of God, but in its fullness. And what is that? The mystery. So the word of God, if we want a completed word of God, it includes the understanding of that which has been hidden. That is the mystery information. Then he gives, uh, which has been now disclosed to the Lord's people. Right? And then verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And then he gives the badge of honor here, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that Christ in you is important. <clears throat> How did it happen? The, the, the circumcision of the heart, where you were taken out of Adam, you were united to the person of Christ that makes us one with Christ, and it makes us one with the Father, etc., etc., etc. So much more we could say about all of this. Point D. Point D. This verse brings back the spiritual dynamics of the coming age. All right now, here I'm back. We're back in uh, where the disciples were, standing there listening to Christ pray this prayer to the Father. So it brings us back to where Christ was laying this information out about the coming age. And what age is that? Pentecost. Right? And <clears throat> where this unique relationship with Christ also brings us to the relationship with the Father. And we kind of already covered verse 21. We, we, we emphasize the fact that by the oneness we have with Christ also brings us into oneness with the Father. What does that mean? What does... How does God, Christ define that oneness? Well, it means you are in me and I am in you. Uh, in the same way that they are in, uh, that we, uh, that I am in you and the, and the Father is in me. Uh, I said that wrong, I think. <laughs> it's a little confusing, right? You just got to stop sometimes and make sure you're saying it right. Because if you say it right, you could, even though you're thinking it right, you want to also say it right. So listen, that all of them may be one. And this is not just for the disciples, but it's for us who believe in through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So he's given us an example of what it means that we are all one. It's the same kind of one that Jesus had with the Father. It's the same kind of one where Philip asked the question, show us the Father and, and then we'll be satisfied if you just show us the Father. And he says, Philip, haven't I been with you this long? You, anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? The Father is living in me and so forth and so on. So there it is. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you sent me. So um, <clears throat> that's what's important in this when we look at point D is to recognize that this dynamic, this spiritual makeup, we could say, is what is characteristic 
of the church. If you want to know what identifies the church, now, you know, it's unfortunate, I know, but I'm pointing these things out to say, look, one, these are what makes us who we are. And two, people, we ought to be talking about these things because they're important. Just like Paul says, hey, let me tell you, first thing first, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Yeah, I'm a true Jew, that's what he's saying. But if you're in the church and you don't even know about these things and you're not talking about these things, you ought to be. This is what makes us unique. This is the Father's plan to do this in the first place. So it is important to us. I'm not saying if you don't know it, you're not part of Christ, or if you don't know it, or you don't talk about it, you're not part. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it ought to be top of mind for you because this is what makes us unique. This is what distinguishes us from all other uh, humanity on earth. It takes us out of Adam. All of these things go together. But what started it all was Christ laying the foundation of what would happen at Pentecost when the Spirit came. And that's, that's how we ought to begin to see this. Point E, point E, no doubt that Christ was looking past the cross to Pentecost. When I say past the cross, you know, I think about this from this standpoint. That when we, this whole discourse, it is not to say that Christ doesn't know about the cross or that he doesn't think about that the cross is looming before him. He does. He does. But he has a job to do. He's preparing the disciples for Pentecost. Pentecost is past the cross. You would think if the, this thing, this dreaded thing that is going to happen to you, which is you receiving the imputation of the sins. And we know that just in chapter 18, Christ goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he leaves some of the disciples and he takes Peter, James, and John. He says, I want you to pray with me. You know, I need you. I need you right now. I'm gonna go. Through, I'm getting ready to go and understand the enormity that this hour has come, where I'm. I'm going to have to drink the cup that the Father has for me. And then he goes a little further by himself, and he prays, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Remove this from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's struggling with his humanity and with, you know, his, the whole idea of what was ahead of him. To be the sin bearer, as John the Baptist would say, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he had this whole weight on his shoulders. And you would think, in this discourse, in his, his prayer to the Father, that, hey, maybe that would be top of mind for him. But it wasn't. What he focused on was this dynamic. Allowing the church to have a firm foundation. He talked about you and me. That we're in this. All of them maybe, that who believe on him through their message. That is what was the top of mind for him. And 
Sure, he was looking past across the Pentecost when he said this, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. This information, well, obviously the, the interpretation here is Christ was preparing them for the inauguration of the church age and the reception of the Holy Spirit who would be have this brand new ministry in the world. So this this information, this you know forming of and preparing uh, the church so that he could be in them and they would. He said, "I'm not I'm not leaving you as orphans. I am going to come to you." So this was important. John fourteen twenty is the day the church was born. And it wasn't just born with no travail at all. It, it was born in the midst of much suffering. The disciples went through what I call the emotional roller coaster, where they had to, even though they heard Christ saying all these things, he, it had to be integrated into the reality that he was leaving them. That he is leaving. That's where the whole discourse began in the first place. That fact that he's going to have to go. And I like what he says in John 16. I know I don't think this is in our notes, but 16. He says, uh, verse 5 and 6, I think it's... No, 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That is the understanding of how we see Christ leaving. Yeah, it, it, it marks the that I'm not going to be physically here with you anymore, which may, to my friends and loved ones that are here, close to me. But he says, you know, it is good. It's a good thing. Why is it good? Because it's the Father's plan. That he go, be glorified, and then the Spirit will come back. That, that was good. That was considered good. Even though in the sad situation that the disciples felt the loss of their leader. There was a new age that was to dawn. So, he looked past the cross. And he focused his attention on the work of building this church. Point F, let's keep going. When Christ departed this world, he said, Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. How, how is that? How does that work? It works through... The, the, the very spiritual makeup of the church. Christ is in every believer, just as we already said. And how does he get in there? Did they have to tarry? Did they have to do all these things? And you know, No, they, they get in there by believing. All this happens to those who will believe on the disciples through their message. This is going to be this unique message in this church, which is the gospel. And they, their response to the gospel is believing. And then they're in the church through the baptism of the Spirit that happened at Pentecost. So when I look at 
this verse in 1419, it sets the stage. Because I live. So Christ is, what do you mean I live? He's going to be in heaven, glorified, and he's alive. You also will live. Oh, you're going to be united to me. What is true of me, Christ says, is going to be true of you. I'm alive. You're going to live. Even though we're still on the earth, but the, the, the life that we live, the, the spiritual makeup that we have will not be from Adam and whatever's going on with the people of Adam. It's going to be with Christ who is glorified and, um, in, in heavenly realms, seated at the right hand of, of God. That's, that's where we're going to be. That's our life. Right? Because I live, you also will live. I remember when we got to this place, this one phrase characterizes the Christian way of life. The life that is the very animation and uh, motivation that we are living here is the life of Christ who is glorified and is in heaven. He is down here living through us. Which I, I know we took this verse and we hopefully we, we did justice to it by trying to share what was involved here in allowing the life of Christ to be a part of our lives. We talked about mutual possession and all that that in, in, is involved in that. So that's John 14, 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. I'll be gone. But how will I still be able to live through you is through what's going to happen in John 14, 20. As we said, on that day, you will know. You will know I'm in you. I'm alive. And I'm in you. Point G. Let's keep it going. Our spiritual life is confirmed and documented by the Apostle Paul, right? So now, this is after all that happened at Pentecost. Paul wasn't there. Paul didn't come around until Acts 9, right? Pentecost happened in Acts chapter 2. So it was later. Paul was an enemy of the church. He was an enemy of Christ. And he, his whole motivation was to stamp out this whole Christianity thing. He figured, that's wrong. We need to focus on Judaism. That was the prevailing attitude for many Jews. So the apostle, was, he was on it. He was, first he didn't believe in Christ, and then he was going to, going to kill anyone who uh, espoused such views. It's just his whole objective was to do this. Being a Pharisee, he was a stickler for the Mosaic Law. So, so in this next point, we see the complete transformation of the Apostle Paul. This is what he says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. So it, just think about that for a minute. Even what we were talking about in our Q&A session, think about this, how the life that we live is not the life we had before. So when we talk about these things, we're not just talking about it from the standpoint of 
you know, this is just metaphor. Yeah, we're, we, you know, or, or the oneness we have is just one in principle. You know, no, there's definite changes that have happened. You said, well, there's invisible changes. Right? I can't see the changes, so I really don't know if they really happen. Well, they happen according to God, who is a spirit. We can't see God. But the invisible God created everything that is visible. So don't think of what what is real is what we can see invisible because obviously, as I said, God, who was invisible, created all things that are visible. So, so what God said for us, what he declared for us, is real. And, and Paul is recognizing that this did happen for him. He has adjusted his thinking so that it is in line with what the declarations of God over his life are. <coughs> Excuse me. So, so he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Isn't that exactly what he said? Uh, that's the verse in uh, John 14, 19. He says, you're not going to see me anymore, but I'm... I'm not gone. I'm, I have the resurrection, all that. I'm, I still am around. <clears throat> but he says, because I live, you also will live. And that's what Paul has literally said. Christ lives in me. That's, that's what happens as a result of the baptism of the Spirit. That's our entrance into the church, into Christ. Uh, so the life then he goes on and explains, what do you see down here? The life I now live in the body, okay, I <clears throat> recognize that uh, I still have presence in this world. I still have opportunity for Christ to, to uh, for the mutual possession part of our oneness to work, where he takes possession of me and is able to live through me. I take possession of, of everything he has, and I'm able to live through him. That's why my mind is set on heavenly things. So it says, <clears throat> life I live uh, in the body, I live by faith, dependence, trust, reliance on the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice the pattern. He loved Paul, gave himself for Paul. Paul is saying, I love you back, and I am giving myself to you. So that's the mutual possession. He loved me, gave himself for me. Well, I, I recognize that. So Christ lives in me. I love him. I'm going to move out of the way. I'm going to let him live through me. I'm going to give myself to this. That's the point in Galatians 2 and 20. Point H. Paul says this. <clears throat> this is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. So Ephesians 5.32 and the context. <clears throat> so when we think about this, Ephesians 5, this is profound because he, I'm going to turn to it. There's some things said here that are off the charts. He is likening who we are with Christ uh, with the, this metaphor with wives and husbands. 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife and so forth. And then he gets down to this uh, husband, love your wife, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of wa with water through the word, and to present him to her, him, her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So there's a lot in this before you get to 532, where he tells you, he uncovers the whole analogy. It's like explaining the analogy. Oh, a sower went out to sow. Some fell on the stony ground. Some fell on... But then Christ says, <clears throat> let me tell you what the whole analogy was meant to tell you. Right? The, the sower is the person who's going out spreading the word of God. The, the, the soil is the, is the attitude of the people who receive the word. He, he just uncovers, he takes the analogy off. He says, this is what the analogy is all about. But he does that in this verse. While he uses husbands and wives, talks about you know, the, you know, the relationship that they have and should have, not all. Marriages may have this relationship, but they should. So he's saying, let me take that to show you some of the dynamics that are in the spiritual life of the believer who is in this age. So he says, I'm going to tell you the skinny of it all. This is, I'm really talking about Christ in the church. Well, by him saying that, we can now look back on that analogy and say, aha, okay, so here are some things, some metaphors that we can use to help us understand our relationship with Christ. That is what is top of mind. Oh, well, well what about that whole analogy? Well, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. But that's not the subject, and the wife must respect her husband. This is not the subject. I just use that as a vehicle to get you to understand something that I has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of mine. It's what Christ has done in the church. So that's what's important about that. That's why when you look at these things and you try to understand this analogy that gives us insight into what God has shown us in the church, Point I, this is our last point here. <clears throat> and we have investigated Christ's prayer to the Father for the church. That's what we have been doing in the whole of John 17. And next week, we will go to review some of this. So we, can, we won't be able to touch on all the points and highlights, but I will point out some. I hope you have your own highlights and points that you have noted about John 17. Just the 16 and 15 and 14 that we have covered. Same deal. We're going to cover uh, the highlights as well. But let's discuss my prayer for you. What do I want you to get out of all of this? Not only are we coming to the end of John 17, but we're coming to the end of the series of uh, verses and chapters that we wanted to to cover. We will not be going from 18 and finishing the chapter. 
we wanted to just focus on these four chapters. So we're, we're coming to an end of that. We're coming to the end of the last verse in John 17. So what is my thought, my prayer for you? <clears throat> it is bundled up in this Greek word, sunesis. And if you understand, not that we never talked about this before, we have especially when we covered Ephesians chapter 3. So it is, I just want you to get two definitions from Strong and Thayer. A mental putting together. This is what my prayer is for you who are listening to this, that you are able to have sunesis, which is a mental putting together, a running together, a flowing together with, knowledge and understanding so how do you how do you put all of this together how do you make sense of it how does it stand on all on both feet and walk how, how does it how does it work how can you do it well you've got to do some of this putting it all together because it you got a lot of pieces here the mystery is the piece that puts it all together so, a couple of verses to illustrate that, and we'll close. The first is Ephesians 3, 2 through 4. Uh, and we'll, we'll identify where that word is, sunesis, in where we cover as well. Ephesians 3, 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you may be able to understand my, and here's the word sunesis, translated insight. His insight into the mystery of Christ. So, so in reading this then, so this is what he has already written about the mystery that God has showed him by means of revelation. And Paul has already written about it. Uh, so he's saying, you'll be able to understand my insight, my mental putting together of all of how this works. Uh, right? A running together, flowing together with knowledge and understanding. So what is that? Which for, eight, uh, which for ages was uh, not made known to the people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So the understanding of the mystery is just not, okay, uh, so that happened, okay. No, the mystery is you got to understand how to put together so that you understand the Father's eternal purpose. We got a lot of revelation for God, from God. This is the fullness of of that, which is the completion of all of that. You need to know how to put all this together. How else is this word used? Luke 2, 47. Luke 2, 47 <clears throat> says, this is about Christ as a 12-year-old. Um, he says, everyone who, it says, everyone who heard him was amazed 
at his understanding and his answers. So his understanding, the word understanding here, is that word synesis. So how is it that a 12-year-old has a grasp of things such that these people are amazed? These are not just you know, people sitting around, but these are teachers, people who were in the temple because they devoted them li their lives to the temple. So after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So by him asking them questions, the questions that this 12-year-old boy was asking, they were amazed at how Christ was able to not only understand, but put it all together. Make, make the applications to how these things work. And so the word is used there. But also, let's keep going. Colossians 2, 2 is another place the word is used. I'll just read that. It says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete, and here's the word, it's translated understanding. Full riches of complete insight, understanding. It means you're able to, being able to put it all together. Can you do it? It's a mental quest. Because by understanding these things, you're not going to sprout wings and fly. You're not going to be what later the earth and, and all creation is waiting for the sons of God to appear. You're not going to be in all of your, the glory that comes as you are resurrected with a body that is just like his. But all of this speaks to your mental ascent of understanding and insight, being able to grapple with all of these details that we call the deep things of God, being able to understand and put it all together, right? That's, that's the thought. And then 2 Timothy 2.7. This is our last one. Uh, and we're just trying to give it the flavor of the word, 2 Timothy 2 and 7. Well, Paul is talking to, he's giving these analogies, right? <clears throat> he's saying, if you go to 2.1, you'll get as a, uh, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust. And then he goes into these analogies. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier. And then he talks about everybody who competes as an athlete. And then he talks about the farm, the hardworking farmer in verse 6. So all these analogies he's throwing out at us. Then he says in verse 7, reflect on what I am saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all this. There's our word, sunesis, translated insight. So God expects that you lean forward. As these analogies, these metaphors are given us, all that we read about Christ and the church and him being in us and him, us in him and all these things that are said to help us understand, we've got to be able to put it together. 
the Lord, God the Holy Spirit, will give us insight into all of this as we continue to focus our attention. But I will tell you, it does require that you lean forward, that you focus your attention. Without it, without that focus, without it coming to the, to the table with humility and willingness to set aside your ways, your thinking, your life, all the things we discuss, you've got to be able to put it together. You have to be able to, to focus enough in this life to be able to say with the apostle, that we understand. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace which was given to me for you. As I have written briefly about and that now you should have this insight. You should be able to put it all together. And that's what we have done. That's what we are focused on here. That's Whether we have done it or not, that's one thing. But that is our focus. Being able to, to see this just as he sees it. We're going to have to stop. We've come to an end of John 17, but we will continue this journey as well. We're going to continue our focus, but uh, next week well, we're going to review John chapter 17. Let's, if you stay with me, then that's where we'll be, and then we'll focus on where this journey continues to take us next. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are so grateful that as we have understood we are the recipients that this of this matchless grace, that this started before time began. And it ends with you realizing your eternal purpose for all things. So, Father, as you have let us know that it is not just information but it is information that is about us and the new creation in Christ. We thank you for the privilege, honor of what this call brings us. We thank you for Christ who without him none of this would be possible. We pray for all those who are out there who who do not know Christ as their Lord and Savior. But we're also praying for those who are in the church that are not focusing their attention on what your eternal purpose is. They're stuck in the mud of Israel, but Father, we pray that they will come to know the fullness of the revelation that you have given us in Christ. And they will take their place in the battle in this world. So, Father, thank you for those who have listened, those who were, who have been a part of, of this journey, our investigation, our thinking in this. We pray that we will continue to focus wherever we go in, in the Word, that you will show us your wisdom and your glory. It's in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.